good morning, Harrison Bridge. So good to see you guys. I know it's been a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with Five Forks Campus, had an opportunity to open the word with them there. Always so encouraged to see our other campuses uh, and what the Lord is doing on each one of them. And then last week, we actually had the Sunday off, and I went back to Atlanta, my place of uh, first side of ministry there, started a decade ago this year, actually. And we got to see one of our former students working in student ministry. The cool thing is you get to go with them throughout their milestones. And so a student who was in my first student ministry got married last week. And so it was cool to go back to Atlanta to see uh, that wedding and to see some people that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I got to lovingly remind my students that they were now the age that I was when, they, when I started there, and they lost their mind saying they were so old there. And so that was a fun, fun time. But I uh, also want to emphasize a couple of points that Kathy said. Next week, uh, we are opening our new worship center. I don't know about you guys. I'm just a little excited about this. This is like, I was thinking about this morning, I'm like, it's like Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Not that it's any more important than this Sunday, but man, I am ready for it. I didn't think it was going to happen in this calendar year at some points of this year, but here we are. So a couple uh, quick points just to emphasize what you just heard. Number one, bring a tailgate chair. We're praying. Please pray with me that the weather would go well next week. We can be outside. Bouncy houses, gaga ball pit for students, nine square. Uh, we're providing the barbecue. You heard her mention the sides or desserts. The Watsons will bring a dessert. I joked with last service. My wife was in there and I didn't get killed, so I can say it again. We'll probably be bringing a dessert from Publix and you know, that's okay. That's how we roll there. Uh, but it'll be a good dessert, I promise you. But hey, it's going to be an awesome time. But bring a tailgate chair, bring a friend. My prayer, even walking in there this morning before our, our uh, pre-service meeting, I walked in there and I was just praying that God would bring more people to know him in that worship center than he has in this worship center. And it's not for us, not for Upstate Church, but it's simply like it's an opportunity for more people to know Jesus. That next week is not the end goal. That's not the finish line. I know we've been waiting on it like it is. But that is just another marker in the race we're running together and another opportunity for us to invite people in to know Jesus in there. And so in a 400-seat sanctuary, man, invite some friends. Bring your families with you. We want to pack this place out. Second thing I want to mention is be flexible next week. We're anticipating over 500 people. Uh, we actually plan to barbecue for 550, and we're anticipating that we'll be people bringers. We'll be people inviters, if you will. And so what that means is there's a chance we have that many people on our campus at one time. I don't know if you've looked outside. We don't have 550 parking spots out there. So it's going to be interesting. We're working on solutions. We're working on uh, ways to shuttle from uh, subdivisions that open up their parking lots to us there. And so my ask of you, those of you especially who are regulars, man, just lean into that flexibility. Y'all have been amazing the past few months as we've waited on this building. And so especially just one more week and uh, help us focus on the main thing of next week. And that's God's goodness and God's faithfulness to bring us to this point here. And so excited for next week. Today we hop into the last part of our heart series. If you haven't been with us or uh, uh, missed a couple Sundays, need a refresher like I do, Proverbs 4.23 is the governing verse for this series. And that is, out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life. Out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life. Put it quite simply, wherever my heart is, that's where my actions will follow or that's where they will be. And so we can do all the behavioral modification that we want on a Sunday morning. We can talk about, as we'll talk about today, how to handle anger better. And we can make all the practical applications we want and the implications that we want. 
But at the end of the day, until my heart changes, nothing's going to change in terms of a lasting sense there. And so that has governed this series. And as I said, today we talk about anger. And I don't know about you, I, I can deal with all the topics we've talked about before. Distraction for me a couple of weeks ago was actually a pretty appropriate topic, right? I went home and was like, man, I need to make some changes today. But like this topic, I'd be okay if we skipped it because it makes me super uncomfortable because we are an angry people. Even if we don't want to admit it, we are an angry people in an angry society. And you say, well, not me, Corey. I hide it well. And listen, I'm right there with you. My boss, Pat, he'll often say to me, he's like, I want to see angry, Corey, because I rarely get angry. I'm like, oh, I'm angry on the inside. I've just learned how not the voice it on the outside, right? I'll smile at you, but probably be thinking something on Christ-like in my heart there. That's how I deal with anger in my life. And so I, I started to think, what are some things that, that make me angry? Because we're going to answer this question, how do I handle anger today in a way that honors Jesus? Well, uh, as I said last week, we were driving back up from Atlanta. One of the things that makes me so angry is that we were on 85, we were in the fast lane, Mel had the sermon on, Wayne was preaching downtown, we were listening, she was watching, I was listening, we were safe drivers. And so we're, we're sitting there, and there's a person going 50 miles an hour in a 75. And there, man, I, can, I had to remember, we had the church sticker on the back of the car. So I, I, I caught myself, it was my, there's a reason I don't have a church sticker on my car, sorry. But they, I was sitting there, y'all like, man, like, yeah, I know. Um, but here's the thing. This is an applicable topic in my life. I, the first thing I thought was that person's license needs to be revoked. If that's you and you drive slow in the fast lane, get in the right lane or, or find another road, please. Uh, but other things that make me angry. And this is going to seem like you're like, man, this dude is weird. Like, the way I work through anger, is, as we'll talk today, is like I go to Jesus, but there's some practical outworking. So part of that is I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm in the cold of CrossFit. Like I love throwing weight around because that helps me deal with my anger sometimes, right? It gets all bottled up. And so that's kind of like, I hate to call it like a sanctuary for me or like a safe space, my happy place, if you will. And so I'll go into the gym, and there are certain individuals, hopefully they're not here, that will set up their bar, their power clean bar, their squat clean bar, right in front of every other plate there. And you're like, why is that a big deal? Because I hate being inconvenienced in that time. I'm on a time limit. Like, I got to go here. And I have to literally shuffle around this person, nod and smile and say, hey, good to see you inwardly. I'm like, you need to get out of the gym right now. But, again, like, seriously, it's an applicable message for me. Other ways that, I, that make me angry. Uh, South Carolina came last night. No more needs to be said. Um, we had some Florida fans over uh, watching because we're gracious like that. And I had to learn to control my anger against our defense. But, you know, be that as it may. Other things that are a little more serious. Why do I get angry? Well, I feel that I am most angry when I'm treated unjustly or that I'm slighted. Or a big one for me is when I am embarrassed in public. I often have this conversation with my four-year-old. Like, listen, you can lose it at home. You can cry all you want at home, and we'll deal with it at home. But do not embarrass daddy in public. Like, that's a big thing for me. Don't embarrass me out and about. And so when that happens, I get super angry. And I don't know about you, but anger is just a sign of my heart feeling that it's been treated unjustly. And we know how the world tells us to deal with it is to respond to anger with anger, to respond to injury with injury, to respond to wrath with wrath. Right? That's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the mantra of our world. If you and I have a disagreement and you are making me angry, there's a good chance I'm tempted to respond in an angry way there. 
But as we told the first two services, and, and I'm a firm believer in this, when I respond to anger with anger, there's a recipe for destruction in that relationship. That is not a recipe for a solution for that relationship to be reconciled and fixed in that moment there. And so the question becomes, well, how do we deal with it as a people of Jesus? Well, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the answer. Here's the move for you today. One, if it's your first Sunday or you just have come to the realization I'm not a follower of Jesus, you're in the perfect right place. We're so excited that you're here. But number two, the only move for you, the only right move for you when it comes to anger is to come to know Jesus and his love that changes your life. Any other solution will be a temporary solution and will continuously lead you to a path of increasing anger, no matter how many practical workarounds or solutions you may find in this world. It will never truly change your heart, which is the source of what needs to be changed. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's the move, that's the call for you here today. But what about for the Christians? How do we handle anger? How do we conquer or check anger? Well, the Bible speaks very clearly about anger. Romans 12, if you've got a Bible, will be flipping there. Paul speaks very directly in this chapter about anger. To give you a little bit of backdrop, a running start to anger, where we find ourselves in Romans 12, the first 11 chapters of Romans, one of the pinnacle letters in the New Testament. If you said, Corey, describe to me what Christianity is about, I would point you to Romans, namely the first 11 chapters. Paul describes who we are, our sin problem, the wages of our sin, and the only way out of sin. And he comes to this resounding conclusion in Romans 8.1. He says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's another therefore moment we're going to talk about today in Romans 12.1. And in Romans 12, we find this turn from the first 11 chapters that are theological foundations for the latter half of Romans we find Paul now making practical application. He says, because of who we are in Jesus, here's how we should respond. And Romans 12 is a starting marker for that. And so as we look at anger today and we ask the question, how can we respond? We find the answer here. We're going to read in a little convoluted way. We're going to read verses 14 through 21. And then we're going to hop back to verse 1 and 2. And it'll make sense at the end of our time here. But look with me. Romans 12, verse 14. Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hopping back to verse 1, Paul continues. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we see, Paul has some pretty direct words about anger here. And we see three overarching themes or points, if you will, that help us answer the question, how do I respond to anger as a Christian? Number one is this, I recognize God's position. I recognize God's position. We find this in verse 19. 
Paul writes in verse 19, beloved. And that's a, that's a word that we tend to gloss over. And really, this verse I tend to gloss over because I don't really like it in my flesh, just to be honest. Because if you have injured me, if you have been angry with me, and you have done me wrong or slighted me or treated me unjustly, my natural inclination is to respond in kind. My natural reaction is to injure you as well. Right? That's what the world teaches us. That's the ethic of this world. But here's what Paul says in light of this. Verse 19, beloved. Now notice this is not an inconsequential word here. Beloved, he is writing to persecuted Roman Christians here in the first century. And what he's saying to a people that are suffering for following Jesus, remember whose you are. You are loved. You are the people of God who have been changed by the mercy and grace of God. So he says, beloved. Never avenge yourselves. Think about this. You're a first century Roman Christian. You have suffered for following the name of Jesus. You have done nothing wrong. And Paul says, never avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so what we hear from Paul in verse 19 is this. Is that when dealing with anger, I have to have a right view of God. Now, it's even tempting for the Christian to have an incorrect view of God or an incomplete view of God. Because when we face angry situations, here's how I most often think of God. God, you have saved me from my sins. You have done the miraculous things in my life. And I'm so thankful for you. But this person has just ticked me off and I need to go handle it. And it's like, God, you have 98% of my life, but I'm going to take care of the other 2%. And I'm going to take vengeance and I'm going to take wrath into my hands. Why? Because it's what the world teaches me. It's natural to my heart. But what that is communicating is that I really don't trust God. I really don't rightfully see God in that moment. What Paul is emphasizing here is that God is the sole authority, judge, and standard by which anger and vengeance should be measured out. We are not good in that seat. When I try to dole out anger and justice in my seat, man, it never goes well. Think about when you respond to someone in an angry filled situation. It never goes well. In fact, in my experience, it only tears the relationship down more. It only brings about more destruction. And so I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to dole out vengeance. I'm not qualified to dole out wrath. No matter how much I may think that I am, I'm reminded here there's only one righteous judge who has a perfect standard who will bring about vengeance and wrath. But I'm often living in the moment. And I long for God to answer that situation in the moment. You know, it reminds me, we, Mel and I have a four-year-old little girl, Anna Grace, and I... I thought I understood the depths of the gospel before I became a dad. Like, man, I, I even understand it more now because here's a situation that unfolds routinely in my household. I'll be standing there, and Anna Grace will come running up to me with tears in her eyes, right? And this is daddy's little girl. I'm like, what's up? What's wrong? What's going on? And usually somebody has taken a princess or pushed her or this and that at school or something. My first response there is to go in the daddy mode and be like, oh, you got beef with someone? Now daddy's got beef with them. Let me go to the preschool here and we're going to have a talk, right? That's not a healthy response. I'll end up in jail probably, right, for beefing with a preschooler, right? What in the world? That's my first response. But here's what I have to tell her. Anna Grace, daddy will handle this. I may not take care of it at the moment because it's not the appropriate time. 
but I will make sure that everything is right where it should be. Now, in the moment, four-year-old, she's losing her mind. She's not really responding rightly there. But I have to remind her, do you trust Daddy? And she'll, through tear-filled eyes, she'll nod. I said, well, Daddy will take care of this. You just trust me. Daddy will handle it. And that will placate her. Not just placate her, but she rests that Daddy's got this. And it's the same way we should be with the Father in heaven, with any angry situation we're facing. That I look at God and I say, God, I am unhappy about this unjust situation. And it's okay for me to pray for justice in this moment. But God, even if justice never comes, I know your position and I know there is coming a day, even if it's not this day, where you will make all things right. There is coming a day when the vengeance of the Lord will be put forth. And because I know that day is coming, I can even turn the other cheek like Jesus I can show love in light of injustice, as we'll talk about more there. But the foundation to this is that I have to recognize God's position. And then I have to trust that. And so the question we need to ask is, in those moments, and we all have those moments where we're filled with anger and we want to respond in an unchristlike way, do I trust that God can set this situation right? And if he can, then, man, I can operate on the bigger picture there. I can respond differently. And it leads us to the second point. Understanding God's position, recognizing God's position, I'm led to, to respond accordingly. You see, I can't respond accordingly as a follower of Jesus until I understand God's position. But now that I understand that, hey, God said vengeance is mine and I will repay and he's qualified to do that and I'm not. And so I can trust him because I understand that now. Now the outworking in my life can commence in an according, uh, appropriate way there. Verse 14, Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I don't know about you, but that's not one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If anything, I want to do the opposite. Again, the ethic of this world. You have injured me. I want to injure you. Because I, I'll tell you in my own life, I love to get the last word in. Right? You make me angry. I'm not one of those that just loses it and boils over. But my anger usually is, I'll say a sarcastic comment to needle you right before I walk away. I'll get that last word in and I walk away with a smirk on my face. And that's where my anger is in an unhealthy place there. Because you are persecuting me, because you are hurting me, I want to hurt you. I want you to make you feel the hurt that I felt. Hurt people hurt people. But what the Bible says is that if I know Jesus, I'm to respond differently. Bless those who persecute you. Now, as I said earlier, we are a people, a society, an angry society, right? And that anger is only increasing on a daily basis. But we're also a society that is a society given to extremes. We've lost the art of having civil discourse, even with people that we disagree with. And so even maybe some in here say, well, what this means then, to put it in our terms today, is that I'm called to love everybody, so I should just leave my front door open in a dangerous neighborhood because i got to love everybody. No, that's dumb. The Bible calls you to use common sense here, all right? So what this means is not, I'm not just going to roll over and say, take what you want, do what you will, injure me as you will. I'm not going to respond. No, use common sense, right? There, there are times where we do stand on the truth, right? If, if you and I are having a discussion, it's growing heated, and you are threatening even the pillars of the faith, I'm going to stand on truth. Now, I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but I'm going to, in a gentle way, remind you of the truth. So, yes, there are moments where I will engage in that tension-filled situation. 
But far more often, I think, are the situations that don't deal with that. Far more often in our society are situations where when someone is hurting us, we should respond, as Paul says, by blessing. So think about this. We asked the question a few moments ago. How has it worked out for you when you have responded to anger with anger? I would say almost 100% in here would say it has not worked out well. I cannot tell you one situation in my life in 37 years that I've ever solved, permanently solved, by showing anger. If anything, I've just made more of a mess of it. In fact, even in my life, I'll tell you, I was good friends with a guy in college, and we were tight, man. We were best buds, but Jesus started working in my life, and I started making choices that, that honored Jesus, and he just wasn't about that life, and so it led to a lot of tension. And so one faithful day, we start having this argument, and we get angry, and we get heated, and I'm not really walking the way I should with Jesus, and so I'm responding in anger to this guy, and he's responding, and we haven't spoken for a decade and a half. And so even this week, I was convicted, man, what I should have done was show that guy love, the love that had changed my life. And so I'd been even convicted even this past week to reach out. Say, man, I know it's been a decade and a half, and I haven't, you haven't heard a peep from me because at times I've been still angry a decade later. But I need to tell you about this love. I need to show you the love that has changed my life. We are called to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse them. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who weep. Rejoice. Live in harmony. Paul says, be at peace in as much as it is possible. Again, doesn't mean sacrifice the faith or the tenets of the faith or be dumb. But what it does mean is, in as much as it falls within healthy parameters of Christianity, I should seek peace with all men and all women. I should repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of it all. The next time you're sitting in that situation of anger, and you want to respond like me on I-85 last week, and I'm wanting to throw my hands up to tick the other driver off, roll along the interstate there. I should have stopped myself and said, what is honorable in this moment? And it's not throwing my hands up. But it's loving them as Jesus calls me to love them, even if they don't know how to drive. So <laughs> I'm still a work in progress here. But verse 20. Paul says, after saying vengeance is the Lord's, the fact that we can rest that vengeance is the Lord's. We are then to respond by what? Feeding our enemies, giving our enemies something to drink. Now, this isn't just the people you're comfortable with or the people you're kind of okay with but disagree with. Paul says your enemy. Your enemy is to be fed and clothed and the thirst is to be met by you, Christians. Then the very next verse, he says something along the line, or very last part of this verse, he says, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Like, wait a second, wait a second. We've been talking about blessing and love and mercy, and now we're going to heap coals on people's heads? What does this mean? Most conservative scholars fall along this line of thinking. I, I'm in that camp, too. And it's this. When I respond to anger with love, that opens up an opportunity for that person to see the love of God. Most often in those situations, that person doesn't know the love of God. So it gives them an opportunity. But if they choose to reject that love, which is a high probability in that moment, at the end of the day, when, when that day that we talked about earlier comes about, if they have still rejected God, that is when the vengeance of God goes forth. 
Our conduct will be validated elsewhere in the New Testament. We said our conduct is to reflect Jesus and to be affirmed on the day when Jesus comes back. But those who have rejected Jesus on that day, there will be burning coals heaped on heads there. Now, we should not seek that. We should not long for that. For as people of Jesus, we should long for reconciliation. We should long for broken relationships to be mended. We should long for tension-filled situations to be fixed and de-escalated through the love of Jesus there. And Paul finishes this section by saying, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If I respond to you with anger, to your anger, nothing is going to be overcome, but everything's going to be destroyed. But if I look at you in my moment of anger and I see you not as an enemy of mine, but I see you as a person who is created in the image of God and I show you mercy and love in that moment, man, it's a game changer. Now, hear me well. We, we think, okay, well, I got to show mercy and love, so I must agree with that person on their viewpoint. It's not saying you have to agree. But what it is saying is that I'm treating you with love, mercy, and respect that I have seen from Jesus himself. That I am going to treat you the way that you have in terms of the image of God stamped upon you. And so, therefore, what it may look like is I'm willing to lose an argument. That really doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. I'm willing to walk away. Why? Because vengeance is the Lord's and he'll set it right one day or another. I'm willing to suffer loss and to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. Why? Because, man, I'm playing for bigger things. I'm playing for the bigger picture, for the bigger story here. And so I'm willing to lose in this world so that Jesus can be lifted up, so that other lives can be changed by him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This point has everything to do with external relationships. Because we said at the beginning of Proverbs 4.23, it all starts in our hearts. So what do we do with our hearts? Well, point three tells us what to do with our hearts. Or our mind is another way to put it. Point three, renew your mind. Renew your mind. So I recognize God's position. I respond accordingly with others. But it starts here in my heart. Paul writes at the turning point of Romans in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. What he is writing to here, who he is writing to are Christians. And he's saying, because you know the mercy and grace of God, present your bodies, your lives as a sacrifice to God. Holy, set apart. How? This is a spiritual act of worship. And so what he's saying here is don't go sign up for another worship service. Hey, Come on, we'll take you. But that's the bare minimum of what we see in terms of worship here. What he's calling for here is that our lives given to God, that is our act of worship. We often think of just the hour block on a Sunday morning as the only time of worship. No, every day I am worshiping something with my life. And if I have been saved by Jesus, then that worship is to be directed towards him. And as he says, I'm to now offer myself to him as a sacrifice. What this means is I'm literally looking at God and I'm saying, because you have saved me from my sins, I am yours. However you call me to move or to act or to respond, even if I'm not the biggest fan of it, because you have saved me from my sin, I will submit to you because you are the righteous judge. You are the one who knows best and your timing is always perfect. And so therefore, I offer myself up to you. But again, the world says, hey, you can trust God for your salvation, Christian. 
But that 2% of that angry situation, you should handle that. But if I'm offering myself up daily as a living sacrifice, it's a continuous moment here that Paul is emphasizing. If I'm offering myself up as a daily sacrifice, as an act of worship to God, then that means God has full access to my life. There is no nook, there is no cranny, there is no corner that God doesn't reign over. We sang about it just a minute ago. He reigns above it all, and that's every square inch of my life. Even those relationship, tension-filled situations that I don't want to give to him. He says, that's mine. I'll handle that. But how does it change our mind? Well, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. The world will tell you, injure as you have been injured. Be angry as those have been angry with you. Persecute as those have persecuted you. But Paul says, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. And he makes clear, there is testing. That is, there will come more moments when you are tempted to be angry. Probably later this day. But when we are tested and we trust God and we are offering our lives up as sacrifices to him and we're seeking for our minds to be renewed by him, we then discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So let's break this down. What does this mean then? How how do I respond to anger in a practical way? A few things I believe we see practically speaking. Number one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you got to know Jesus. That's the only way you overcome anger. And far more than anger is the sin that separates you from that Jesus. And Jesus offers you a way out of that. And so my challenge for you is that you start that conversation today post-service. Come find me in the lobby and we'll start telling you about how this Jesus can change your heart with anger and with everything else in this world. But for the Christians, here's what this means. Number one, that if I'm to overcome anger, if I'm to bless when I am persecuted, if I'm to love my enemies, if I'm to turn my cheek, then I must know the word of God because I know my first inclination in my heart is that in that moment of anger, I want to respond and spout off at the mouth. But if I know that I've been called in Romans 12, 14 to bless when I am persecuted, bless when I am hurt, then I'm going to call that to mind. We need far more of Jesus's word in our life than we give credence to. I need to spend intentional time. I need to turn that part of my life up. How well do I know the word of God so that it equips me for those moments of anger that flash in my heart? Next, I need to turn down the world. One of my biggest fears, not just with Gen Z, Gen Alpha, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, Grace Generation, no matter what generation. We tend to point fingers at generations, all generations. One of my biggest fears about generations that are living right now is that we have been far more discipled by this world than we have by the book of God. That I've been far more disciple to be angry by this social media where I can pick up my phone and I guarantee you I can find something to be angry about in five seconds. Or I've been discipled by Fox News or MSNBC or CNN, all of them. They're in the business of stoking the fear that is in your heart to make you angry. Because why? Angry is profitable. They're in the business of making money. But yet, I will go plop down in front of that TV, and whatever's on it will disciple me often far more than what's in here. And no wonder we're an angry and miserable people, even if we know Jesus. So I need to turn down the world in my life. It's not saying be an ostrich with your head in the sand, but what it is saying is that I need to know Jesus far more than I need to know the latest itty-bitty news item on my news feed. 
I need to spend far more time with Jesus than I do with anything or anyone else in my life. Next, I need to remember that the other person across the table in that argument, when I'm prone to anger, is not the enemy. Paul writes in Ephesians, we do not war against flesh and blood, but of things unseen. That person is not your enemy. That person is a person created in the image of God that needs to know the love of God. And how you respond can be a catalyst for them to know the love of God. And lastly, I need to rest in the truth that whether it's today, tomorrow, or not any day in this lifetime, there will be a day, sooner or later, when God will set all things right. That I can rest in his goodness and his word and trust him. That even if in this moment of anger, I feel slighted, I feel treated unjustly, I feel embarrassed, I feel whatever. I can see the bigger picture that God is working to bring all things new to a day where there's no more tears, no more anger, no more injustice, no more broken relationships. That day is coming. And resting in that changes how I see this world. To put it quite simply, the only way to overcome anger is to know the love of Jesus and then to reflect the love of Jesus to this world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I, I know even in my own life, I have been convicted this week. I often hide my anger so well, but it is still there. And I struggle with it just like everyone else. And you remind me today, one, that my anger is a moment of my selfishness where I choose not to trust you because somehow I think you're not good enough. But God, would you remind me, would you remind us this morning that you are the righteous judge. You have everything well in hand. Vengeance is yours. And there's a day coming when you will set everything right. So until that day comes, Lord, may we pray for justice to come. May we pray for the world to be set right. And may we pray that our hearts will trust you in those moments of anger. God, I pray for those in here who do not know you. May they see there's no way of conquering anger or anything else in this world or even their own sin in their lives on their own. But Lord, that you would bring them to a place of brokenness today to ask the question, how can I know this Jesus who changes everything? And so Jesus, we lift this up and we ask these things in your name. Amen.